the sermon text for this morning as we continue in our series through uh, Philippians is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I invite you to please turn there in your copy as I read the text. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now this, as we've noted throughout this series, is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a church that he helped plant. He knew the people of this church, and he loved them dearly. And when the church in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison because of his preaching, uh, they wanted to help him out as much as they could. And we know that uh, prisoners in the ancient world were completely dependent on, on friends and, and family for their necessities, for food and clothing. Uh, these weren't provided by the Roman government for prisoners. Prisoners were completely dependent on outside help. And so this church prepared some gifts to send to Paul to help him in his imprisonment. And we read Paul's thank you to them in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. But we see that even as he thanked the church for the gifts that were sent, he also kindly reminded them that he was content either way, whether or not he received something from them. Notice what he says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And we'll explore as we look at the text further next week why, why Paul was, was so... Um, found it so important to make sure that they understood that he was content uh, whatever situation and that he was not dependent upon their financial gift. But this morning, I want us to explore the idea specifically of contentment, what Paul is referring to here. I want us to begin by asking the question, what is contentment? Well, a contentment is, is the joy and peace that is found when we rest in God's providence. Let me say that again, that contentment is the joy and peace that we find when we rest in God's providence. It is resting in and knowing that God is sovereign and that he is wise and that he, is, he loves us and that he plans every single detail of our lives. And so everything that takes place in our lives from the smallest event to the most pivotal event, we rest in knowing that it is all a part of God's plan 
for our lives. So there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance or, or fate. You know, nothing happens in this world just because. Uh, no, the Bible teaches us that all things are a result of God's plan and purpose. All things are a result of God's providence. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism was, a, was an excellent summary of our Reformed faith. It was written in the 1500s. It asks the question, what do you understand by the providence of God? And apart from question and answer one, this is my favorite, the second favorite out of the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you understand about the providence of God? And listen to how the Catechism describes the details that God's providential ordering from the biggest things to the smallest things, how he is involved in every detail of our lives. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. So we see that God's providence includes everything, the big things that we see, like the universe and creation and wars and major historical events. God's providence includes these big things, but it also includes uh, seemingly small things that take place in our lives, the minute day-to-day uh, details. The Bible tells us that God knows uh, the number of hairs on our heads. The Bible tells us that God takes account of the birds of the air, and he orders all of these little details according to his own will. And no one, no one and nothing can change his will or alter his decree, alter his plan. One a well-known Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs, he gave this illustration to, to explain this. He says, imagine you're on a ship at sea that has all of its sails spread with a full gale of wind, and this ship is swiftly sailing along. Now, he says, can you make that ship stand still by rupping, ru- running up and down it, stomping your feet or grumbling about its direction? No, you can't. You can't alter its course. It has its course. And he says, no more can you and I make the providence of God alter and change its course with our worrying and our fretting. It will go on with power. Let us do what we can And so, do you see, loved ones, why our contentment, why our contentment is directly connected to our understanding of providence? See, contentment is the joy and the peace that we find when we rest in God's providence. We see this so clearly in Joseph's attitude, as was explained to us in our first reading, that as a young man, Joseph had visions of grandeur, right? He, he had visions in which his family members were bowing down to him that he would be a very important person. And then Joseph experienced one trial after another, one difficulty after another as he was sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned for a crime he, he didn't 
uh, commit and is forgotten about. And it wasn't until the end of his life that Joseph saw God's providence in all that he experienced and all that he endured. As Joseph looked back, he saw that every event in his life, whether it was a good thing or, or was a bad thing according to, to his own judgment, was ordered by God for a purpose, for a reason. God had a plan behind it all. And since Joseph was given such great honor in Egypt, he realized as a result he was able to rescue his family from the famine that threatened their lives. And this was, in God's plan, his way of preserving the Abrahamic line and bringing about the Messiah centuries later. Joseph, seeing all of this, later said to his brothers, as we read, his brothers who were fearful that he was bitter and that he would uh, seek revenge against them for selling him into slavery. He said in Genesis 50, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Loved ones, this is why contentment is an inward work of the Spirit in our souls. It's an inward work of the Holy Spirit in our souls, and why our contentment is not based on outward circumstances. We're not content because of external things. We're content, and we're to find our contentment in our deep satisfaction in Christ. And so that even if things around us are difficult, even if our lives are often marked by pain and suffering, we find contentment by the Spirit's work in our lives. And this is why the Apostle Paul could say as he was in prison, the words that we read, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Loved ones, how, how can you and I know whether the contentment that we have this morning is from the inward gracious work of the Spirit or whether it's based on our present circumstances? Whether it's a work of the Spirit or whether it's just because you and I live in Southern California and we have it pretty good. Um, we're in an area of the world in which we are not uh, directly persecuted for our faith, as many other Christians are in different parts of the world. Um, we have relative peace. We have financial stability for the most part. How do we know that the contentment that we feel this morning is not simply because of our present circumstances, but is actually a gracious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, Jeremiah Burroughs, he illustrates it this way. And uh, I'm going to update his illustration a little, if you're familiar with it, from his book, The Jewel, uh, the Jewel of Christian Contentment. He says that to be content only because of our comfortable outward circumstances, only because of how good we have it uh, externally, uh, it's like getting warm from an electric blanket. Um, you know, it feels great, right? You have that electric blanket on. But our comfort is dependent on that external source of heat. 
And so with that electric blanket on, uh, even a person who is sick is, is comfortable while that blanket is plugged in. It's, in a sense, uh, masking the symptoms of their illness. You know, like when we're sick and we get chills, right? Uh, that blanket makes us feel good while it's plugged in. This is why having a lot of possessions and a comfortable life, this is what it provides for unbelievers. Those who are, are spiritually sick, you know, their sense of contentment is based on these outward comforts. All their stuff is kind of like that warm blanket that is externally keeping them content. But Burroughs explains, to be content because of the inward gracious work of the Holy Spirit is like the warmth that a regular blanket provides. Uh, We know what it's like to get in bed on a cold night, and the first few minutes under the blanket is a bit cold, right? Until our bodies, our bodies, what do they do? They begin to warm up the area around us, and then we're comfortable. You know, one writer explains it this way. This illustrates our spiritual health. Uh, Suppose someone loses his job or get some very difficult medical news, you know, his first reaction is probably going to be shock. His soul will feel the chill of the matter. It's like getting into that cold bed. But after time, the healthy believer who is fueled by the inward gracious work of the Holy Spirit will begin to make the affliction more bearable. Grace will heat him up, so to speak. On the other hand, someone who does not have the inward gracious work of the Holy Spirit, such news is not only initially cold, but it's continually cold. When the outward comforts are removed, when we might say that electric blanket is unplugged, their spiritual sickness is revealed, and their discontent is unmasked. This is what we see that in the Apostle Paul's contentment, loved ones, that his contentment was a result of the inward, gracious work of the Holy Spirit. That the Apostle Paul, even in that cold Roman prison, he there was warmed by God's grace. See, he was able to find peace and to rest in God's providence. To say that even in this situation that he found himself in at that time, To say, I know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so how can we we learn this kind of contentment, this biblical model of contentment? Well, in our striving to be content, we can often become discouraged, can't we? Especially because we live in a society that breeds discontentment. It's permeated by a spirit of discontentment. Almost all marketing, all marketing is is targeted toward making us want what we don't have, to buy the thing that we don't have, to to upgrade, better car, better house, uh, better phone, to constantly upgrade, to constantly pursue what we don't have. This is what God warns us about in, in the 10th, commandments. And in this respect, you know, social media is, is also uh, very dangerous. We 
You know, when we are looking through our, our Facebook feed or whatever social media platform you're using, we need to remember, loved ones, that usually we're only seeing the best parts of our friends' lives. Usually the things that people post are, are only the, the highlights of their day or the highlights of their week. And as you know, we're scrolling through the feed, we can kind of be led to believe that, man, this person's normal life is consisting of just highlights. And my life, I don't have you know, such happy moments. And, and my life just seems kind of normal. Why isn't my life like theirs? Right? Um, and this can all breed discontent. This is why it's significant that the Apostle Paul himself said in verse 11, said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul said, you know, I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, Paul admits, I wasn't born with a contented attitude. I was born a sinner just like all men outside of Christ. But he says, throughout my life, I learned contentment. As God was teaching Paul, as he is teaching us about what it means to rest in his providence, about learning to find peace and rest in all that God has ordained for each of our lives. And there are five things I want us to consider as we seek to be content. Uh, these are adapted from uh, Burroughs' book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Uh, first, as we look at this passage to consider that in all that we have and all that we are experiencing, we must believe that God has provided it because he loves us. The things that we own, loved ones, all that we have, all that we possess, each of these things are expressions of God's love for us. It is so easy for us to take for granted what we have because we're so focused on wanting more, wanting something bigger, wanting something better. But we need to confess every day that every good thing that I have, every good thing that I enjoy is a result of God's love toward me. It's a token of God's love for me and, and for you. And Burroughs says this must be very sweet to us, this thought. that God loves us and provides all that we need. Second, in all that we have and in all that we are experiencing, God has provided it, not just because he loves us, but he's provided it for our sanctification, for our growing in Christ-likeness. You know, God, loved ones, God has a purpose in how he has ordered each of our lives. And his purpose is our sanctification, our growth in grace and godliness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so God's providence, we know, extends to all creatures, to all his creation. The Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. But we, as Christians, we have God's providence in a very special way. It's directed toward us. We are the focus of his providence as, as the church. It's like when you are uh, watching a movie and you know there are central characters in that movie that, that the movie is focused on 
But in that movie, there's also like extras and, and people in, in the background, but they're not the focus of the attention. Uh, similarly, God's providence is focused on his people, on, on his church. It's directed to our good and, and to our sanctification. The Westminster Confession of Faith, another excellent summary of our Christian faith, it says, in general, the providence of God reaches all creatures, every person, everything that's in creation. But in a very special way, it cares for his church. And it disposes all things for its good. And this is, again, why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says, And we know that for those who love God, for those who are God's people, for those who are uh, in Christ, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So friends, are you uh, those who love God this morning? Do you love God? Well, then you can be sure that his holy, wise, and perfect providence will work for your good and for his glory. Heidelberg Catechism explains, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us, help you and me as Christians? It helps us because we can be patient when things go against us. We can be thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. And third, we find a contentment in all that we have and all that we are experiencing because God has provided it as a gift. We acknowledge as his children that it's all of grace. It is free of cost. Burroughs writes, the difference between what a godly man has and a wicked man is this. A godly man is like the child of an innkeeper. The innkeeper has his child in the house and, and provides his food and lodging and all that the child needs. But a stranger comes and he receives the same things as the child, but the stranger has to pay for everything. Now, it may be that the child's meal is simple and the stranger has a great feast, but there must come a reckoning for it. Behind what Burroughs is saying here is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 2. Paul asks, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So what Paul is explaining there that is, if a person is not led to repentance and conversion through God's good gifts, there must come a reckoning that all will pay at judgment. And fourth, we find contentment in all that we have and all that we are experiencing because God has provided it to, to us in Christ. God has provided it to us in Christ. Loved ones, the reason that we receive good gifts from our Father is because they were purchased for us by Christ on the cross. You know, outside of Christ, the Bible teaches us, you know, we are enemies of God. As we learned in 
and, and discussed in the communicants class this morning, not everyone can call God their father. The Bible says that we are born enemies of God. Because of our sin, we are born as aliens and strangers to God. That outside of Christ, we are separated from God because of sin. We're objects of wrath by birth. And so only, only Christians, therefore, can truly call God Father because only Christians have received the grace of adoption into God's family. You know that adoption is part of the order of salvation. It's a, it's a link in the chain of what happens when, by grace, we trust in Christ our Savior. And so the Bible says that when we trust in Christ, you know, we are justified. Our sin is credited to him. He takes it upon himself. His righteousness is, is credited to us so that we are then declared righteous, declared not guilty. And that is a great joy. It's a wonderful joy to know that our sins are forgiven, is it not, loved ones? We're not guilty. But there is even a greater joy to be found in what follows justification, that in being justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are then adopted into God's family, that God becomes our father. This is what the Apostle Paul explains in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is why Paul includes the well-known verse in our passage, I can do all things through him, namely Christ, who strengthens me. It's a lovely verse. It's usually a verse that we memorize as Christians early on in our faith. But we need to remember, loved ones, that this verse needs to be read in context. We see that Paul is specifically referring to contentment in any and every situation. We shouldn't take Philippians 4.13 out and just use it as like a, a blanket statement about victorious Christian living. Now, what he's specifically referring to is contentment. Paul is saying that in every situation of life, whether poverty or prosperity, whether I'm brought low or I'm abounding, in every situation, I find contentment in Christ. We find contentment in Christ, loved ones, in our shepherd, brother, savior, and friend, in the one who has made God our father. And fifth, we find contentment in all that we have and all that we are experiencing because God has promised the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come, loved ones. Burroughs writes in his book that a Christian is the most contented person in the world for all the reasons that we've noted in Philippians chapter 4. And yet he says the Christian is also the most unsatisfied person in the world. Does that sound like a contradiction to you? That a Christian is the most contented person in the world, but is also the most unsatisfied person in the world. Which is it? Are we most content or are we most unsatisfied? 
Well, we're both. As Christians, we enjoy all of God's good gifts to us in Christ, according to his fatherly providence. Everything that we've acknowledged thus far. Beloved ones, we receive these things and we find contentment in these things. But we also know that we live in a fallen world. That the world as it currently is under the curse of sin is not our home. And so in this sense, you know, we will never be truly satisfied in this life. And here are just three areas in which we will never find full satisfaction in, in this life, as, as one author notes. We'll never find full satisfaction in our knowledge of God, in our knowledge of God. You know, our greatest desire in all of life is to know and love the Lord more. But while we are in this life, we can know the Lord truly, but we cannot know him fully. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, we are content, but in this area of life we are unsatisfied because we always are wanting to know God more and more up until that day when we will know him fully as we look upon Christ face to face. The wickedness in the world also fuels our dissatisfaction in this life. The wickedness in the world. You know, we are so often like Asaph in Psalm 73. Like Asaph who saw the wicked prospering and he saw uh, the wicked becoming rich and having easy lives. And then he looked and he saw believers, those who trusted in the Lord, were suffering. And they were having all kinds of difficulties. And he, he was having a hard time understanding this dynamic. He was dissatisfied. And when we see things like that, loved ones, it's right for us to cry out, How long, O Lord? How long? The wickedness in this world fuels our dissatisfaction. And lastly, our own sin also fuels our dissatisfaction. You know, we're like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, we know what pleases God. And yet, we also so often fail in our obedience to him. Paul writes in Romans 7, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing this dissatisfaction with our discipleship and with our growth in grace and this frustration, is it not, so often every day. It's a battle, it's a fight, it's a race. But loved ones, this constant dissatisfaction is God's good, good, God's good gift to us as well. We need to see it that way. Because he uses these things to draw us closer to him. To draw our hearts away from the sinful things of this world and to draw them up to him, to Christ who is seated in the heavenly realms. Now we are, are like Abraham, like Abraham who long for a better country, who long for the new heavens and the new earth. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It's right for us, loved ones, to long for that place. 
that place where we will see Christ face to face, where there will be no more sin and no more sorrow, and we will be fully satisfied for eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Father, you know how to give good gifts to your children. You are a generous Father. You withhold no good thing from us. In you, we have all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all your good gifts, for abundant provision of food and clothing, for your daily protection and peace, for our church and the fellowship that we have together, and most especially for the fellowship that we have with you, our triune God. Forgive us, we pray, for the grief that we cause you when we are discontented. Not a day goes by in which we do not sin or act with ingratitude toward you. Lord, we humbly ask that you will give us an awareness and appreciation of all your mercies toward us, that we may be truly thankful and that we may show forth your praise not only with our lips but in our lives also by giving ourselves to your service and by walking with you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Hear us as we pray to you, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.